Welcome to Dub Nation, the official show of the Utah Warriors of Major League Rugby. I am Jerem Jordan alongside Banksy. The Warriors win, baby. Always a fun show when that happens. And how about the Warriors social going this hard on Twitter? Hey, at Dallas Jackals, we got something for you with the SpongeBob gif. (laughs) Serving up the L again. DJ Khaled voice, another one. (laughs) I was a little surprised by the aggression of that, but I was also laughing uh, like right now. We're on the Utah Warriors Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube account. Subscribe to the podcast version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud. Listen to the show rebroadcast weekly on ESPN 700 in Salt Lake City. Here's what's on the show today. We will recap the win over the Dallas Jackals. It was a fun one. Had some great moments, certainly a lot to get better from, but Utah's in the win column. MLR round two recap. There were some surprising results. We'll preview round three. We'll talk with Paul Asike, a member of the Major League Rugby first 15, he was dynamite. We're seeing healthy, strong, fast Paul Asike, which is awesome. We'll preview the first ever matchup with expansion side Chicago coming up this weekend. And we will talk with the new CEO of Major League Rugby, Nick Benson, a guy who we are very familiar with as the former COO of the Utah Warriors. All right, on Saturday, Ashley Birch was on the sideline uh, on the broadcast. So let's bring in Ashley to help us recap the Warriors' 33-25 win. Ashley, what's up? We had a we had a fun game Saturday because we saw a win. Yeah, and it was nice weather. Felt good to be back. We had the crew in action. It was an awesome game. How was it on the pitch, by the way? Because in the booth, we were like, "Hey, this is warmer than you think," but easy for us to say. Yeah, definitely warmer than you think. That turf kind of radiates the sun a little bit. Um, as far as I understand, I mean, the Warriors staff, especially like general manager Brandon Sparks, our ticketing director, they were out on the field for 10 hours. The game was going to have to be canceled because of the snow on the field. 10 hours with tractors, skid removers, whatever, in the stands, clearing seats with shovels. I mean, they were literally out there nonstop. If they didn't do that, I mean, we wouldn't have played the game. So getting that snow off allowed the sun to kind of hit that turf. And, and honestly, it was pretty warm. So man of the match wasn't Paul Asike after, after all. It was Brandon Sparks. Um, 100%. And, and being from Michigan, that experience of like, hey, we got to remove the snow to, to play here. That makes sense. Okay, let's dive into the recap. Seventh minute, Utah's on the board. Uh, this felt good because Paul Asike is back, baby. A try last week. Then he got another one to make it 7 nothing. The conversion was good. Great start early. Yeah, and it came from execution at the set piece, which is something that Utah really struggled with against San Diego. And, you know, where I actually talked to Paul before the match, he said they put a lot of their focus. So it's not like they created something for this, you know, great backline play, but it gave them enough of a platform to send Paul through the line, which even in San Diego, we didn't see. So just that execution by the forwards, you know, kind of opened that up. And it was really good for the Warriors to get on the board first. And just a great line from Paul as well. You saw him out there calling for the ball like he was calling for a hug from his Nana. You know, like he knew right where he wanted to go with it. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly. Stronger, his game or his mustache? Like that mustache is legit, which we will see later on coming up with the program. As we uh, mentioned. I'm going to say his game. That is a big body, like Bigsy said, to see. If you watch him in that, turn his body, twinkle his toes, you know, kind of between two players, like – he is just such a smart player. He literally shifts his body around to go through, we say, doorways, not doors. And, I mean, that is a massive player to, to get through a pretty small gap. So, I'm going to – I'm not a fan of the mustache game. So, I'm going to go with uh, player over mustache. How dare you? Agree to disagree. It's all good. Uh, 24 <laughs> – uh, so, three minutes later, Juan Pablo Say scores for Dallas. They missed the conversion. 
More on the role of conversions in this game later. 24th minute, Joe Mono. Great run. Offloads to Caleb Mockney for a try. Conversion's good. 14-5 at this point. Yeah, and something else that's really great to notice here is that's not the only opportunity. You'll see Mika Cruz a cut back inside. He's another option for Joe Mono. They have the support. This is where Warriors are really fantastic is in this play, and they haven't had the opportunity to really showcase that. But it's not just two people in space. They have the options. You know, Joe Mono could have gone to either of them for the score. Great pin and pass by Calvin Whiting. And just understanding where their players are, you know, Caleb Mockney, a great follow through. Like, that's just the team play that made us see, you know, 60-meter, 70-meter, 80-meter Warriors tries in years past that they've just not clicked with, you know, quite yet this year. So that was a really awesome try. Well, and similar build-up, too, in, like, the fourth minute when Mika Cruze got tackled into touch by former Warrior James Vifale, they immediately knew they wanted to play sideline to sideline, and it paid off. And it was yeah, good exactly. to see because we didn't see that last week at all. Like, hardly any of that play. And then, obviously, San Diego, I think, is a better team than Dallas, but – you got you to just kind of get that going, and then perhaps we'll see more of it against Chicago, which is awesome. Okay, five minutes later, Bailey Wilson scores on another great sequence between Policique and Mika Cruse, this open play, this quick ball. Yeah, and people wonder why Policique was named man of the match. We've mentioned his name in every single one of these tries. He just does such a good job of finding the opportunities, finding the two-on-one, pinning and passing, and then same thing, you saw him and Mika Cruze. They beat their defender, but they keep that one arm free. And it's not a 50-50 offload. They know where that ball's going. So, you know, just a great pin pass, beat your defender, get the ball to the outside, and have those support players running really square onto the ball. And, again, there, another key player with his hand on the ball is Joel at number 10. I mean, he has been massive for the Utah Warriors. He's on that outline just as, you know, Bailey Wilson's coming on that inline. He gives an extra layer in the Warriors' attack that, has sometimes been there before, but he's always there. He's always at extra layer. If that ball didn't go to Bailey, it could have gone out the back to Joel. I mean, either way, the Warriors were scoring that try. Those layers, that depth is is really crucial, you know, carrying them through the rest of the season. When I think the key word there too, Ashley, is work rate. You know, you saw um, McLeod get drawn in on the tackle. So it was actually Lance Williams playing the scrum half position that started that movement, got out, and then Bailey Wilson, a forward on the opposite end of the field, running support. So all 15 players really just playing in cohesion on that piece. Yep. It's beautiful rugby. Hedo uh, Gomez Vada for Dallas dotted one down after it felt like 20 phases uh, to make it 21-10. Again, missed conversion. To the second half, 53rd minute, Joe Mano scores his ninth try in his last nine matches thanks to an amazing grubber from the left-footed Paul Asike. Yeah, all of a sudden, that was his, what, second or third left-footed kick there. Um, but it's also just, again, great communication and work rate by Joe Mano as we've gone now, you know, two, three tries through the hands to the outside. They're marking them inside shoulder out. They're marking them inside shoulder out. They want, you know, to let the ball go player to player to push him to the sideline and make the tackle like they did on Mika Cruze earlier in the minute. So it's just that knowledge that Policique has of, okay, we've passed the ball down the hands these two tries before. They're adjusting. They're covering that. We've got to change something up. And just the quality execution on the left foot of Grubber, I mean, it was just beautiful. Well, and then the chemistry, too, to, to build up to that, to know between the players that that was going to be on, to see the space, and then to have that connection, that timing, and that finesse to be able to get the weighted kick right, to get the run in right. It was all beautiful. Was warrior number most, one. Uh, yeah, warrior number one. Was this the most sort of diverse tool bag of skill by Paul Asike we've ever seen? In his left-handed offload, 
his left-footed grubber, his physicality is always there. Like, was this was this the most diverse performance we've ever seen from him? I mean, I don't know if I'd say that because I just feel like that's him as a player. It's what he brings to the table. He, he's smart. He has all the tool sets. But I feel like you don't see him all the time because he doesn't need him all the time. That just shows the quality of not only his physical skill set, but I think his knowledge of the game and the way, you know, he kind of plays rugby like chess. And I see that a lot. Other players, like, for example, Lance Williams, he's just a go-forward guy. That's what he knows how to do. You know, Paul really plays this like chess, and he has this tool bag that he can really analyze what's going on in front of him and be like, all right, now I'm going to use this. You know, I think he has them. I think he's had them. He just hasn't had to use them, you know, all the time. But the team playing together gives him that platform to be able to do those things too. Probably an emotional week for Lance because they're demolishing Aloha Stadium here soon where he played his football. Um, and that place is uh, historic, but unfortunately a dump. And they're going to get some upgrades, which is good. But, yeah, Lance, former Hawaii linebacker. Okay, uh, it's 26-15 later. Nicholas Revel uh, scores for Dallas. 63rd minute. Zion going. Really smart play here to just take it himself, make it 33-15 and dot it down. By the way, that Joe Mono try earlier was the game-winning score. Um, you know, Utah didn't need another point after the conversion. But Zion takes matters to an o- into his own hands and scores uh, left of the post. Yeah, I think this was a great try, and, and he was hungry. I actually talked to his wife earlier in the week just on what it means to the boys to have their families in the stands. Now, Zion didn't get to have his wife and his first son, you know, here in Utah this last year. He had a son while he was here, and, and then now this year he's got both his kids and his wife along board. So you just see that fire in him where he doesn't have the stress of leaving his family behind. And what she had said to me is that gives him the ability to play really free rugby because – everything he needs is right there. And he doesn't have to think about, you know, anything else than playing his game. And it's probably a piece that he took from San Diego, what they did to us the weekend before scoring multiple tries right over that ruck area. So it's good heads up play by a nine. You're always told like your first option is your team. If you take that by yourself, you better score because if not, you're alone. So, you know, good, good eyes by him to see there's times like that when you can get try hungry and kind of screw your team in a way. But uh, it was a great opportunity. He doesn't take them all the time. But when he takes them, they're, they're really important. Well, and I thought it was great maturity to know in that moment that he had the physical presence to be able to go forward and score it. He has such a different skill set from Connor McLeod when they come in at nine. So it's a bit of a change in pace and a bit of a change in style when Zion comes in in those substitute minutes. But I thought in this game, it really elevated what the Utah Warriors were able to do in the way they played sideline to sideline. I agree. It's good to have two different nines like that as well. Um, just picks up the energy, picks up the speed. So at this point, uh, Utah feeling pretty good. It's about 17 minutes left, up 33-15. Eric Naposki, the former UCLA Bruins, scores two tries in the 68th and 72nd. Really nice move uh, that made waves on, on social media there. 33-25, the final score. Both teams score five tries. So what's the difference? Utah goes four or five on conversions. Dallas goes 0 of 5. That was the difference. Those conversions really mattered. Making them matters. Where you score the try matters. But uh, Utah was tremendous. Only missed one, which uh, was awesome because that was the difference in the game, Ashley. Yeah, you need that. You need those players that can, you know, provide that extra. Just like in football when they talk about, like, kickers aren't being part of the team or whatever the case is. It's like, well, guess what? They're going to win you games. And that is a prime example is not every one of the Warriors' kicks or the Warriors' tries was an automatic seven. Paul CK's first one was, but all in all, Joel made some incredible kicks from the sideline. 
And that is part of the reason why the Warriors needed him and wanted him to be part of this team. Um, those key stakeholders in those moments are really crucial. But at the same time, it's like the Warriors are celebrating this win. But guess what? You you scored the same amount of tries. So that has to be something in their mindset, too, as they move forward, you know, into this next game against Chicago is that um, they, they have to defend those tries. They can't get scored on you know, as much as they did, because if they did make those tries, that's a, that's a different game. We're having a different conversation. Well, and one of the big stats that sticks out to me guys is the, the tackles made 197 tackles in a single match for this Utah Warriors team versus Dallas, making 162 tackles for essentially the same number of scores, right? So the, the, the phase play that Dallas was able to put together, I think is going to be a really good platform for them as they continue to build throughout the season. There was a little bit of spark and a little bit of magic from Napowski that kept it close, but this is a dangerous Dallas Jackals team. And will Utah yeah. kick a penalty goal at some point this year? Uh, they haven't in two games. It's not been a thing they've needed. Um, certainly against San Diego, you needed all the points, but they've just opted to rely on a, a, what they feel like is a really nice set piece in the line out and the mall and the physicality of the scrum, right? Utah's yeah, but I would, going for five. I would say that um, just being here, you know, around the team, around the staff and hearing conversations that happen, um, it's not necessarily positive they've walked away from. It's, you know, having that person on the field that knows, okay, it's time to just get points on the board, um, especially like in the San Diego game when you are not scoring off of the ball. You did that twice and we didn't come in with anything five meters from the try line. You've got to come away with points. And, you know, after Joel has shown the team what he can do with his boot, it may give them more confidence now to do that. The Warriors haven't – they have no uprights here to train. And they've been inside. They haven't been able to kick. So was that confidence there in Joel to make those decisions to do that? Did he have it in himself? I'm not quite sure. But, you know, after this last week, he's built that himself. He's like, okay, I got it. He's like, okay, he's got yeah. it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen more now, you know, after this match and those opportunities that Joel had. It's a great point. It's a great point. Um, individual stats stick out. Paul Asiki had a try, a try assist, 10 carries. 105 meters running. He was fantastic. Uh, Mick Cruse, seven for 118 and a try assist. Calvin Whiting, nine for 80, 10 carries. Uh, excuse me, nine for 80. Um, Yuri Van Buren, 18 tackles. Lance Williams, 17 tackles, 15 defensive breakdown arrivals. They were all over the field. And Joel Hodgson, as we mentioned, three for three on those conversions before he came out. Perhaps we, we will see him kick. A couple of game notes. First one of the Greg Cooper era. Congratulations to Coops. 3-0 versus Dallas, 33 Points scored in all three of those games, at least. And Joe Mano, nine tries in the last nine matches. Banksy, is he going to score a try every game on average this year? I think he has every bit of the ability to score a try in every single match all season long with this Utah Warriors team. When you look at the weapons that are around him, no matter who the Warriors put on the field on any given weekday, if Joe Mano's on the outside, you got to know where he is at all times. Then the first 15, congrats to Paula Sique and Caleb Makany. At uh, 12 and 15, part of that team. Uh, Ashley, do you agree? Were there any other Warriors that needed to be on there? I do agree. Obviously, Paul had a great showing. And what I think is really special about Caleb is um, he can't just play but one, but two very crucial, you know, key stakeholder roles at 10 and at 15. It's it's not easy to, you know, lead from either of those positions and you lead a little bit differently. So that's really key for the Utah Warriors to be able to plug other players in like Cliven Lobster, sliding Mika Cruze into the center. It gives the Warriors the ability to have, you know, different lineups, having somebody like that that you can trust and play in both positions 
Um, so, yeah, I, I think Will deserves somebody else. I think that Will slide in is Anika Cruze. And the reason I say that is he had those stats. But at the same time, I think there was three or four opportunities. If he had the ball in his hands, he would have scored. We saw one on that Kayla McNamee try. If that went to Mika, he would he would score that as well. There was another one that first try that James Marfale tackle. I don't agree with that. Should have been taken back, in my opinion. But there was opportunities like that where I think if the ball was in Mika Cruz's hands, he had the potential to do a lot of good things. And I think that as they click and mesh, um, that will happen a lot more. He had the hat trick last year against Dallas in the 69 mm-hmm. uh, pointer, which was awesome. Well, Ashley, we appreciate the time. We look forward to uh, hearing you on the call Sunday on the radio uh, with Banksy against Chicago. Thanks. Yeah, we'll be there. All right. Round two of Major League Rugby looked like this. Seattle defeated Atlanta 28-22 on Friday night. On Saturday, of course, after the Warriors and Jackals, the Sabercats beat NOLA 35-14. Sabercats looking good early. Surprise of the week was this one. The New York Ironworkers taking it to Toronto, 39-3. And then perhaps the uh, biggest uh, buildup, maybe besides Seattle-Atlanta, was San Diego and New England. San Diego takes care of business at home against uh, the Free Jacks. You know, both of us had the Seattle ATL game and the San Diego-New England game as games to watch. Both of them lived up to the hype. And uh, really surprised, I think, by the gap in that Houston-New Orleans score Houston looking really good early in the season. They've had a lot of new additions, and uh, they've been pretty good. It's early, but looks pretty good for the Sabercats so far. Which uh, Congratulations, by the way, to New York. Sam Windsor, longtime Sabercat, now with New York. He tops 500 career points. That dude is a kicking machine. And like we talked about, we'll see if Utah even attempts a penalty goal this year. So far, no attempts through two games, which is a little crazy. In the standings. So far, Houston and San Diego with 10 points each. Again, if you're new to this, all good. Four points for a win, one point if you score four more tries. If you're the losing team, you can score four more tries and get a bonus point or lose by seven or fewer, a.k.a. like a one-score game, right? So Seattle, eight. Utah, five in fourth place. Top three make the playoffs. We're uh, through two weeks of 16 games. Dallas uh, got a point in uh, scoring four tries. Actually had five against Utah. And was one point away from another bonus point. They lost by eight. Chicago has the bye week, so they are sitting on zero points from the loss uh, a couple of weeks ago. In the East, New York and uh, Old Glory DC with uh, five points. New England and Rugby ATL with five as well. Um, And then uh, Toronto and and NOLA kind of at the bottom there. Anything stick out early in the standings to you? Uh, the three undefeated the yeah the three undefeated teams in the West going up against all the one and one teams in the East right now. So as this season goes on, those away wins are really going to count for a lot to figure out who makes the playoffs in those top three spots. Both I think in the East and the West, I think winning on the road is going to matter more in the East this year, though. And we've said it before. There's so much parity in Major League Rugby. And Chicago's really interesting. I look at that roster, Banksy, and I go, oh, my gosh, those guys are loaded. Like, that's a playoff team on paper. It's going to take a sec for that to gel, and certainly Utah is going to get a a taste of that uh, coming up on Sunday, which we will preview in a moment. Okay, the the games this week. Dallas is going to host Seattle. Rugby hosting NOLA. NOLA needs uh, some points here. It's getting early. They play a lot of these uh, you know, games at home or in the South where the weather's uh, good early in the year. Chicago, of course, and Utah will preview that one as mentioned. New York and D.C. D.C. Uh, had a nice win over Chicago two weeks ago. We'll see what that one's like. And then this one's really interesting in the West. Houston and San Diego. What's your game of the week here? 
Uh, I'm circling that Houston San Diego if I'm not watching the Utah Warriors play. Both of those teams playing with some pretty good form right now, but San Diego brings a different level of physicality that I don't know that Houston has faced yet in their first two matches. And Utah uh, plays Chicago, and then they have a bye week, and then they have New England, and uh, then they have uh, you know Toronto coming down as well, which you need to get your tickets for. Make sure you're in the stands. It made a big difference against the Dallas Jackals. Be the difference maker as the 16th man in the stands at Zions Bank Stadium. Get your home game tickets. Single game tickets are available now. The next match, March 25th, as the Utah Warriors take on the Toronto Arrows. Go to warriorsrugby.com. That's warriorsrugby.com. Well, Paul Asike was amazing uh, in the game Saturday. He's been with the war. He's warrior number one. He's been with them for a long time. We went over to England, played with uh, Harlequins. He's Back with the Warriors last season, kind of got injured. But a healthy Paul Asike was a wrecking ball, taking down fools, and it was fun to watch. Here's Banksy's conversation with Paul from earlier. Paul Asike, sun's out, guns out, cuz. How are you, man? No, good, thanks. How are you? Too much, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, first off, what was more impressive, uh, your man of the match performance or that mustache that you've got going? <laughs> oh, man. Uh... Probably the moustache, man. Yeah, I've, I've been involved. I've got a couple compliments and uh, been made fun of a little bit, but it's all good. So one try, two assists, 10 carries, over 100 meters run. And obviously, from a from a leadership standpoint, this was a full pull from all the boys. Five different try scorers in this. How did that feel to get that first win of the season? It felt really good. Um, yeah, the bottom line is a win is a win, and uh, we got five points, so much needed and it's just a good way to uh start off our home opener you know to give the fans and family and friends uh, a win is, is it feels really good a lot of family in the stands how big was dub nation in the stands at zions bank stadium for the boys they were massive yeah no they came out and um i mean it wasn't too cold uh we had a snowstorm a few days before the game but uh for that it surprisingly wasn't too cold so we had some fans come out um the sun was poking its head every now and then so uh, no, they were good. They were loud. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we needed. Are you naturally left-footed? We saw you three different times go to the left boot. Was that just the run of play or were you just flashing out like Larry Bird style? You decided <laughs> to play with your left instead of your right. Nah, yeah, it's, it's, um, I just keep it in my back pocket, you know, just in case I need it. Uh, yeah. So it was one of those things, you know, I always kick around in training and stuff. So it was actually pretty cool to get a few reps in the game. The big rep on the clear, and then, of course, the one to, to Joe Mano as well. We'll go through those. Let's walk yeah. through some of these scores here. Uh, the first one, the try in the seventh minute. This is bread and butter Paul Lasique stuff right here. Inside of 10 meters, and you just calling for the ball, right? Yeah, yeah, that's basically it, man. So um, we'd, we'd been working on it, me and Connor. Um, yeah, just trying to get trying to get our hands on the ball. That's basically the bottom line. And so especially close to the line, just – uh, be direct, and sometimes that's what you got to do. And you made yourself real skinny, a real subtle shoulder yeah. turn to beat like two or three defenders and then cruise around. Yeah. Uh, question, though, why didn't you go for the auto seven? You dotted it down just the outside of the line instead of inside. Yeah, I was going for it, but I seen um, James or the number 11 come across and, and kind of cut it off. And I didn't want to be one of those guys where I'm like over the line and then I fumble it or I get held up or something like that. So I was just like, okay. Let's just play it safe here. Make the highlights <laughs> for the right reasons in this case, yeah. right? Yeah. Don't want to be on the not top 10 on sports. Yeah, exactly, man. Out the back. 
I've seen too many of those. So I was like, let's just keep it safe. And put it there. <laughs> too many recently, even. All right. And then yeah. the second one that was magnificent, the, the grubber through to Joe to give him nine tries in as many matches. It looked like from our vantage point, you guys were calling for that two or three phases earlier than you were. What did you see in the lead up to that score? No, I just seen their nine come in the line and their, uh, the winger come in as well. So they just had no cover back there. But not only that, we had advantage. And so I was like, okay, since we have advantage, I might as well just try this. Uh, and sort of saw the space and just put it on my toe and hope for the best, really. Joe, Joe Mano did all, the, did all the hard work. So, yeah. Now, don't cut yourself short. That was a, I mean, it was perfectly weighted. The bounce right at the back of the try zone. I mean, there had to be more yeah. to it than that, right? Have you guys worked on that in training? Uh, yeah, not, well, not really. It's just one of those things that it's a sort of a feel, feel sort of a thing, you know, uh, the wingers always need to anticipate that, you know, the ball carrier or the, the, the playmaker, whoever it is, uh, if there's space out there, then those, then those opportunities are on. So it seemed like to talk about that anticipation, the, the chemistry really clicked all of the boys running hard and support, you know, the, the Mika, Caleb Mockany. Um, Joe Mano, Bales running outside of you, Hodgson running inside and outside of you. It seemed like you guys are starting to find what works for you as a backline. How is that feeling for you from the inside out? Yeah, yeah, I think there is that. Um, the coaches sort of gave us a challenge to uh, to play what's in front of us, to express ourselves, to do our thing, you know. Uh, at times we kind of did that a bit too much and we were a bit too loose. Uh, with uh, errors and, and uh, drop balls and things like that. But I think for the most part, on attack at least, uh, the boys expressed themselves. You know, we were trying to get involved, uh, adding variety to our to our play. Uh, but, yeah, it all started with um, the set piece. We had a much better set piece. Uh, so we had a platform to strike off of, you know, as opposed to San Diego. Uh, we didn't have many opportunities to strike from a clean platform, you know, from lineouts and scrums. Uh, this game we did, so we were able to – shoot a few shots and 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 make things happen. So now I was, I was happy with the attack. So looking forward now to Chicago, uh, what are you guys working on in the lead up to that match and the home opener for Chicago, a big occasion and a chance to play spoiler for the Hounds? <laughs> yeah, um, they got some really good players there. So they got a really dangerous team. They didn't really showcase it in their, in their first game against DC, but uh, we know what they have to, what, what players they have and their capabilities and things like that. So um, no, our focus has been same thing on attack. We're going to express ourselves and, and, and add variety and do our thing. I think on defense, we're focusing on uh, on th they like the two-sided attack. So uh, that's one thing that we're going to have to keep our heads up and scan as we're defending. Uh, don't overfold. Uh, so yeah, that, that'll be a big focus for us uh, going into Chicago. I know defense has been a big emphasis for this team, and you guys were three tackles shy of 200 tackles made in this game. Uh, how's that defensive cohesiveness working? Because there's a lot of boys rolling in and out of that lineup. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I didn't know that, much, that there was that many. Holy heck. Uh, no, it's just, mate, that's just part of the package that we play, you know. Uh, there's going to be times where you're going to have to go uh, 30 seconds to a minute, two minutes, uh, you know, occasionally three minutes of, of defending and we did that a couple of times uh where that they uh, well Dallas ended up scoring on one of them but um yeah you just got to recycle and and carry on really so we're gonna there's a few things we've worked on to try and combat that so we can shut it off a bit earlier uh we had opportunities against Dallas that we we didn't 
And so we were just defending tackles upon tackles and and it kind of wears on on the old man here. So I'm I'm feeling a bit sore actually. Eh? But uh no, nah, it's good. Yeah, those are some of the things that we're gonna try and implement in Chicago. Well, look, a healthy and happy Paula Sique is something all of Dub Nation is excited to see and more of the same, brother. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Uh, we spent yeah, a lot of time right. talking to you uh, in the offseason with your time with the Eagles and now here through week two. All the best, and uh, we'll see you in Chicago, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers, Banksy. Thanks. Well, thanks to Paula Sique for taking a few minutes to hang out with us here on Dub Nation. Okay, let's preview the matchup with Chicago coming up on Sunday. It's at noon Mountain Time. You can watch it on KMYU. AT&T Sportsnet, stream it on kslsports.com and the Rugby Network. And then, of course, Banksy and Ashley have the radio call on ESPN 700, ESPN 960, and B92.1 FM. No one has a media deal like the Utah Warriors. There's no excuse. You can find it. So let's talk about this matchup. First ever meeting with Chicago. Expansion side, the Hounds are brand new. Uh, they are going to debut SeatGeek Stadium, their first home game. So a lot of excitement around this game. Hey, after the San Diego game and the MLR record uh, crowd of 11,500, Utah used to play in front of big crowds at home too. No big deal, right? Chicago coming off a bye week. They did lose to D.C. a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, Charlie Abel, Robbie Abel, Utah assistant coach, his brother, plays for Chicago previously with L.A. They had some, uh, you know, off-the-field bets about the matches, but uh, it's going to be fun to have Chicago in the league, and we get a taste of them here in Game 3. Well, and for the Utah Warriors, a big ask traveling all the way to the Chicago and Chicago with the extra week of preparation to face these Warriors as well, coming off the bye week. So this is not an easy game by any stretch. Haven't looked at the weather, but let's hope it's uh, warmish uh, <laughs> because Chicago on Sunday, I mean, the country's getting hammered by snow. Uh, just ask, you know, the Northwest Portland is just crazy right now, but uh, we'll, we'll see what uh, the weather looks like for that one. Players to watch in this one. Again, this team's loaded. The USA 15's captain, Bryce Campbell, formerly of Austin. Again, Austin uh, Giltini's, uh, uh, Gilgronis and the LA Giltinis uh, were sold and uh, aren't in the league anymore. So a lot of those players went to Chicago. Bryce Campbell's that guy. 18 carries, 124 meters gained. That's a ton. That's a ton from week one against DC. Marco Key, formerly of Austin, 15 carries for 154. Those guys are finding space. Luke White, a physical presence. Uh, in the scrum and uh, all over the pitch, had a try, 11 carries for 83 meters. Michael DeWall, uh, 27 first and second breakdown arrivals. Those are Yuri Van Vuren-like numbers. Um, those are just four of many guys to watch on a very talented Chicago team. And this is a squad that's full of class when you're talking about the Chicago Hounds. With the collapse of Austin and L.A., Chicago really reaped the benefits, getting their pick of the cream of the crop players in both of those what would have been playoff teams before the demise of those franchises uh, due to mismanagement. So there is talent stacked all over that game day roster and the entire franchise as a whole. Really, I think the biggest thing that's going to take for them is just time and chemistry together. A big deal getting the off week and the lead up to the Utah Warriors in their home opener. I expect a very tough, tough Chicago Hounds team. This is a great time to play Chicago at Chicago, I think, too, because they haven't played a game in the stadium. It's a little cold. It's a little weird. Everything. Utah had a really nice performance last week. Chicago sat on that loss, like you mentioned, but will be well-rested and motivated. It's an interesting time to play Chicago. Like we mentioned, super talented, but there's a lot up in the air. I think Utah needs to go in there and try and get a five-pointer early in the season. Then late in the season, Chicago comes back to uh, Utah. 
Chicago back in Utah, I think uh, second week in July, they come to us and that's going to be a very different team. They've only had the one hit out together collectively as a team and obviously taking that early open loss. So now we're going to face a still very hungry team, a very skilled team, but not a very cohesive team. I have the feeling that chemistry is not going to click yet for them. And if it does, they could be very dangerous. So you can't look past them and take them for advantage. But I think if the Warriors can get past Chicago this week with a big road win and max points out of this, they can expect a very different squad coming to town in the summer to Zions Bank Stadium. And it's important for Utah to get points early. Um, we've seen you know early season where Utah has to go out on the road for the majority of the beginning of the season. We had some 40-degree weather, which sounds cold unless you're from Utah. Then you're like, no, 40 is kind of warm. That's nice. It was great. It was like as good as it could be Saturday. This is a situation where you're on the road. It might be similarly bad weather that you might have had in Utah. Go and get a win. Go and win early and get in the top of the table in the West, as opposed to what we've seen for a couple of years, Banksy, which is besides 21, which is Utah's had to play catch up and a lot of times hasn't yielded as much as we were hoping for. This is an important game. To go to Chicago, take care of business, and then uh, you get a bye week, and then you're back home. And uh, you can you can do your best to kind of stay in the mix early. You always want to be in control of your own destiny, right? And uh, control the controllables, the bit of a cliche. But if you put yourself in a position to be successful early, down the stretch when things do get hard, when injuries start to pile up, when the minutes start to have to be managed, you're in a position now where you can make more intelligent decisions rather than having to throw caution to the wind because you're playing catch-up and chase and you're waiting on other teams to win or lose to do you favors. This is a chance for the Utah Warriors to get on the front foot and start to be able to control their destiny as they look ahead to the postseason. So at Chicago by week at Nola gold, again, three or four on the road to start. It is what it is. You're in Utah. Uh, we are in Utah. Um, and then you host Toronto, as you mentioned, get your tickets and then you host new England and then you go to Houston. So early you've got to really establish, um, you know, some good play on the road. Um, and when Utah is back in town on March 25th, you can hang out with uh, Ashley in Junior Warriors. These Junior Warriors clinics are amazing, and our very own Ashley Burge does such a great job with them in getting the kids involved, learning and loving the game of rugby. These happen before every home match. You get a couple of tickets to the game, the kids get a t-shirt, and most importantly, the chance to learn how to play rugby with some of their favorite Utah Warriors players, some of the coaching staff. I know Robbie Abel was there running around with the kids in the last uh, lead up to the match against Dallas. So there's a lot of great access to players and coaches and a chance to fall in love with the game you love. If you want your kids to get involved, go to junior.warriorsrugby.com. That's jr.warriorsrugby.com and sign up for Junior Warriors Rugby Clinics. Shout out to Robbie Abel's kids. They had some of the best haircuts I've ever seen. I loved it. They were they looked like a proper group of rugby playing kids. They were fantastic. And I would hope they've got some skills already, uh, given that they're Robbie's kids, which is which is great. Uh, and Uncle Charlie will help out as well. Okay, last week, George Killebrew uh, stepped down as Major League Rugby Commissioner. Did a nice job since 2019, really helping the league progress, adding teams. Um, and Nick Benson was hired as the new CEO. Of course, we know Nick. Because we, he was the COO of the Warriors, as we mentioned last year. So we're especially excited about Nick taking over. Here's Banksy's conversation with the new CEO of MLR. First and foremost, Mr. Benson, congratulations on the uh, new position. Thank you, Banksy. Good to see you. Good to see you, brother. Now, this is kind of a return to an office you're very familiar with now with your new position as the official CEO of Major League Rugby. Of course, you spent 
a lot of time in the commissioner's office as one of the the real key players in the founding of Major League Rugby. How is this position different than what uh, Commissioner Killebrew was in previously with the the commissioner title as opposed to the CEO title? Um, the, the title itself is is not a material change. It's more stylistic, I think. Um, you know, obviously, it's always a little bit different. We're we're coming in at a different time. Um, George uh, George Killebrew came in uh, right before COVID, saw the league through COVID. Uh, so he was dealing with a very specific um, specific set of challenges that maybe he didn't quite even sign up for. <laughs> um, and you know, now we're at a different time. Uh, we're at a time where the league is really poised uh, to grow um, and get to the next level. We're at a time where the World Cups have been awarded to the U.S. for 2031 and, and 2033. So we have um, we have a lot of work uh, to do to get um, help. Uh, to get aligned and to help drive uh, hemispheric alignment for for North America um, and working with USA Rugby and working with World Rugby and all of the other key stakeholders to make sure that we are well positioned to take advantage of this opportunity that we have. Um, so I think in in each case and in each um, in each scenario, you're you're walking into a different situation. Um, and in, in this case, the challenge is is pretty big, but the opportunity is huge if we get it right. And obviously that alignment, a lot of that has to do with the upcoming World Cups for the men and women. Uh, what are the plans for the league in partnership with USA Rugby? Because obviously this falls under the international governing body, but Major League Rugby is is the player pool that they're going to be pulling from. Sure. I mean, the the World Cup is a world rugby initiative with with USA Rugby, the, the local governing body. You know, we, we, have, uh, we have a role to play and we've got... Um, We've got proposals and and kind of negotiations ongoing with USA Rugby and with World Rugby, and and those span you know kind of a really broad um, broad um, swath of of topics from you know what are we doing together to drive youth engagement? You know, you, MLR has a presence in in twelve cities today, um, thirteen soon with Miami coming online, and we've got you know great. Um, great youth outreach uh, programs and, and great people driving those programs. So, so how do we work together to really grow the sport ahead of 2031 so that the World Cup can have the legacy that it's supposed to? And our our, our motives, our, our, our incentives are completely aligned. Everybody benefits. If we get more people playing rugby, more people engaged in rugby, more people watching rugby, that's good for us. It's good for USA Rugby and it's good for World Rugby. It's how we all build success is if we work together to drive, to drive some of those initiatives. You know, we're also talking about, you know, how we can work together at the, at the collegiate and, and the junior college level, you know, what kind of uh, pathways uh, we can help to create to make sure that we're developing so that those kids who are coming into the game have a full pathway that they can go from peewee to pro um you know all hopefully in an mlr ecosystem but certainly in an american ecosystem so that we're producing the best players and the best team that we can put on the field for 2031 and, and those are all you know incre incredibly complicated conversations uh and there's a lot to it there's a lot of opinions um but the the important part is we're all in the room together and we're working together to try to make it happen how has that been managing those opinions and most importantly, those expectations? Because you and I have had conversations privately about the way it should be in American rugby and everybody has their own opinions and ideas. But now you seem like the perfect guy who's had experience at the club level, at the commissioner's office level, at the MLR club level to see like we were lucky enough to have you here for the last year and change. Uh, with the Utah Warriors to build our pathway program to to be part of some of our st uh, partnerships with Stade Toulouse and, and, and others. How do you see all of that experience benefiting where you're at now 
in the driver's seat in the CEO position? Well, I think one of um, you know one of the really important things that that, that allows me to do is your lens and perspective is so powerful. Uh, in anything that you do, so it's it's really easy if you're if you're on the league office side, you, you see things one side one way. If you're on the team side, you see things if you you see things another way. If you're um, you know depending on where you are in the rugby ecosystem, whether it's World Rugby or USA Rugby, you know everybody's I, I think legitimately well intentioned. Everybody wants to grow the game, but everybody brings their own perspective to what that looks like and what the most important thing is and where that driver uh, should come from. So I think you know the ability to um really understand the perspectives and, and understand that that idea that lens is so powerful you know there's there's a lot of people who are doing really hard work and really good work um you know from top to bottom inside of this rugby community so how do you how do you create a structure where everybody's pulling in the same direction everybody kind of understands the, like these are the deliverables that i'm responsible for as mlr as usa rugby as the local referee society as a youth coach as a youth development officer this is the role that i have to play towards this bigger vision um and that's hard right that's hard work it's hard work to get there but i think we're doing the work and, and if we can just stay on path we can get there does it feel like your position, because to me, it feels like your position is not so much as a policymaker. I think that's going to be the clubs collectively, but your position is to get everybody to sit down at the table together and at least have the conversation, right? That's step one. I mean, I think I think at the, at the league office, we have a unique perspective to help drive policy and, and, and make recommendations. But, you know, we're, we're, we're in a world where we have a lot of stakeholders. Uh, we have team stakeholders who, who sit on the board um, and they look to us for for direction in some areas and, and help set direction in other areas, really, depending on depending on what it is. It's a very you know, it's a very collaborative relationship that the league office has you know, with the board. Um, and, and and we have to right? They're, they're driving the business at the local level and, and we're dri driving it at the national level. Um, you know, our business model is such that we're incentivized to work together and we do work together because at the end of the day we have to to build this you know we're um we've got a lot of work to do to get rugby to what we all believe that it can be which is you know premier sport in the united states um we can get this league to where we know it can be which is you know as competitive as any league in the world um it takes time it takes effort um and it takes a collaborative approach that, that i think at, at least within the league we have so six years into major league rugby now it's uh it's officially the best go at professional rugby in the history of the United States, I believe. Uh, is the league where you thought it would be when you guys sat down and put this all together six years in? Obviously, there was a huge road bump with COVID. So, you know, we, we have to put an asterisk next to some things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote... Um... I'm going to quote Kimball, uh, who, who we both know, uh, you know, obviously very well. And there's um, there's value in naivete, <laughs> right? I, I don't think I, I don't think in, in, in 2016, when I first started on this journey, long before the, the, the first season, um, I don't think I had any idea how hard this was or how heavy of a lift it, it was going to be. Um, so, so so in some ways, you know, no, we're, we're, we're maybe not, not where we dreamed we'd be. <laughs> um, but, but we're certainly, you know, f far ahead of where we could have been. Um, you know, COVID was, was a big road bump, but, but we survived it as a league. I think we made some hard decisions. I think we made the right decisions. Um, you know, we made it, we made it through COVID um, over the last two years we've grown. So we're showing growth. You know, we, we've 
inked some great uh, sponsorship deals over the last couple of weeks, um, you know, between um, between Oval 3 and Arctic. So we've got some great new partners coming on board at the league level. So everything's trending in the right direction. Um, but <laughs> we didn't know how hard this was going to be. It's 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 a logistical lift. It's a uh, it's a labor of love. But, you know, I think we all believe in what this can be. And that's the most important thing. I think none of us would be here if we didn't believe in what it could be collectively, you know? And so I think that's a great perspective to have on it. So let's switch gears a little bit now. Two weeks into the season, how have you seen things in the league going through the first uh, two sets of games? Um, look, they've been great. You know, obviously, you know, week one, our highlight was, you know, San Diego and their 11,500, uh, you know, uh, person crowd uh, you know, setting, a, setting a league record on setting a league record on that front. So that was really impressive. Um, I was there, beautiful stadium, great crowd, um, just an incredible, um, incredible package that, that Ryan put together there. And that's someone who really believes in, in, in what he's doing and, and, and what, you know, what he can build in San Diego. And he's, you know, put the effort and the time in. So that was really, really impressive. Um, I think over, you know, honestly, the most impressive thing in week two, and, and th this might just be, um, you know, I might have to, own up to having a little bit of the Utah homer in me still was just seeing what happened here. Right. You know, three feet of snow, you know, on, on Wednesday, we're talking about moving the game to Dallas or Houston. And then Kimball gets on the phone with the local rugby clubs and they all come out and everybody pitches in as a community. They get the snow off the field and like one way or another, there's a game, right? That game got played on time. Um, and it was a good game and there was a great crowd and there was a new hospitality section uh, down in the corner, which apparently was fantastic. I wish I could have been here. Um, and that was a great highlight. And it was really a story about a community coming together for, for the passion that they have for the game and the love that they have for the game. Plus, we'll never hear the end of it from Brandon Sparks about how much time he spent behind the wheel of that skid steer. So, <laughs> hey, hey, listen, man, you give that guy, you give that guy a heavy piece of machinery, and, and, and I think he can probably figure most things out. The Midwest comes out in him real quick. So, a super proud moment for all of us getting that done. And a big thank you to to Kimball and Brandon, obviously, for leading the charge on that and what was a great game. So now we fast forward to this week and the first home game for the Chicago Hounds versus our Utah Warriors. Uh, are you going to be heading out to Chicago for that game? Yes, sir. I will be there. Uh, I'm excited for that game. They have a great stadium that they'll be playing in. They have a great ownership group. They've pulled that all together on really short notice. It's really impressive. It's really impressive what they've done. So I'm really excited to go out and see that game. And, you know, Chicago in early March, uh, I'll bring I'll bring a coat, um, but I'll be I'll, I'll be excited to see. They Let's do. hope the rugby gods smile on Chicago the way they did on us here in Utah. Sunny, 70, cool breeze. Sounds like perfect rugby weather. Uh, one last question for you, because before you left us here in Utah, you were really rolling with a great head of lettuce and things were developing pretty fantastic for you uh, in, in, the, in the follicle department. And then you suddenly <laughs> cut your hair. Was, was that the writing on the wall for the new appointment to this position where you had to actually go and get a grown-up haircut? Because I was liking the, the dare I say, Justin Bieber-ish flowy locks that you had going on there. You know, it was it was very, like, 1990s grunge length. Like, I was pretty proud of what you had rocking, Nick. You know what? And I'll be honest, it took uh, there was there was a lot of love in those locks. Uh, it took some time to get them out there. Um, but yeah, um, 
no, uh, it wasn't. It, it wasn't directly. It wasn't directly related. But I was sort of getting to a point where I was uh, d doing a little bit more of the public facing things and the board meetings and everything else. And I realized I probably couldn't couldn't walk around with the beaver locks any, any anymore. At least for couldn't now. Hide it under the ball cap. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Look at hashtag bring back Nick Bieber. Uh, <laughs> I don't even. Does Justin Bieber have long hair now? I didn't no, even know. He doesn't. That. He doesn't. You're, you're. Yeah, you'd be one upping him on the on the hair status. Okay. So yeah. it was fantastic. Look, we were blessed to have you for the time that we had you in Utah. The league is lucky to have you now as the CEO and as a as a as a rallying cry for all of Major League Rugby. Congratulations again on the appointment. We can't wait to see you back here in Utah, Nick. Thank you so much for taking some time to be with us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Banksy. Our thanks to Nick Benson for taking a few minutes. Best of luck to Nick as he uh, begins year six with Major League Rugby. And so far, so good. It's uh, gone well through two weeks. An absolute top shelf human being. And we expect to see him back at Zions Bank Stadium as well. I don't know that he'll be rocking the red and black like he did when he was the COO of the Utah Warriors. But we will see our friend Nick Benson again. If you want to rock the red and black, though, have the four stripes on and be part of the best home field advantage in Major League Rugby. All of your 2023 MLR Utah Warriors gear is available now. Go to shop.warriorsrugby.com to get it. That's shop warriorsrugby.com home kit away kit alternate scarves hats accessories everything you need to be in the stands at zions bank stadium to support your utah warriors okay that'll do it for us like and share this episode of dub nation follow the utah warriors on social media our thanks to paula ck and nick benson today's show is produced by mason benson no relation that we know of although we knew to uh, go to family tree or whatever we'll talk to you on the radio sunday at noon for the warriors and chicago hounds for banksy and Ashley, I'm Jerem Jordan. Go Warriors!